Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, 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 yeah, Friday, right? So much about the damn arts. It's Morning Combat back in the bomb shelter, Jersey City. Brian Campbell, Luke Thomas, the beige bastard, that angry guy. But we're back doing what we love, what we deserve to do, where we belong. Friday, May 6, 2022, a loaded combat sports. So much combat this weekend. So much. A lot. You know what I mean? Like, you ever, like, walk in on spring break into a dance club and just be like, so much tail out there, bro. I know you did, dirtbag. Or <laughs> even the back of a Denny's if there was something going on. Uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, hey, we're, we're happy that you're with us here. Uh, we got to set the stage for UFC 274. Bellator Patty, which will go live on Showtime right after today's MK episode. We're going to get into that. Canelo Alvarez returning, moving back up to light heavyweight against Dimitri Bivol. A trap fight, Luke? We're going to have to talk about mm -hmm. that. In waiting right now, a couple fight announcements as well. Uh, you want to try Showtime, now would be a great time. You can go to Showtime.com, get your 30-day free trial. Watch Bellator today. Watch Championship Boxing. Okay? Watch W. Kamau Bell change the world in a Cosby sweater. Right? I'm going to let you hang. <laughs> Wrong. Um, that that's where the, those that is the label that pays us. Look, we have a fantastic um, inventory of merchandise, and maybe an even more for fantastic merch master. I couldn't believe we showed up today. They had like care packages and prototype stuff, backpacks with the MK logo on it. Yeah, we saw crazy. we saw the beginning of the early next line coming up, the early beginning of what it might look like. Uh, we're also peddling, if you can see right here, this stuff at MorningCombat.store. Your, Look at that porn addict. Your morning hub <laughs> gear. So here's what we want to do today. Uh, why don't we celebrate and give 10% off all Morning Combat merchandise at morningcombat.store. You have the worst smile in the human race. Is it all the merchandise or is it just the morning hub shirts that we're getting the 10% off? Either way, it's live10 is our code. Why don't you check for yourself at morningcombat.store. Everybody in our staff is wearing this look, everyone. It's pretty nice. I have to say I'm pretty amazed. Quality is very high, nice and soft. Um, I can't wear this in public. You know what I mean? I can't. I mean, what does this say to you? Yeah, but the question is, why can't you? You would acknowledge that it's naughty. Maybe you have to act innocent. <laughs> I mean, what do they do to Ash right there? I mean, what are we doing here, team? I mean, we are we just are just asking for a case, okay? Always there for you. It's morningcombat.store. 
Yeah, well, well yeah. I mean, look, I really mean everyone. The janitor out back. Can we, we get a live shot of the control room here? Can we get, can we put Manich on blast? What do we got going on here now? Boy, look, take a take a look at the luminaries. Oh, the oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He did the old, he did the Cam Newton. He did the Cam oh, Newton. Oh, yeah, Manich, that guy's great. That's awesome. Um, you know, Manich, he took the, he took the chair. Which I know comes from Superman, fuckos. Anyway, go ahead. Wow, nice disclaimer. Manich took the chair that was once manifested by uh, Jay Aaron. Jay is the worst human ever. And Jay showed up yesterday, and I, mean, I don't know why. Dude, Jay he literally shows up and we're like, dude, why are you here? He's like, you know, meetings. I'm like, not with us. <laughs> um, Jay was just showing us these pictures of his life, of his history, of how he we're got gonna, here. We're gonna do this? And I was like, dude, <laughs> Why are you showing me these? But what about this picture? And he told, Luke, this man was so desperate to, to get laid in the late 90s. Look at this guy. That he wore the- I want to put this on record that I tried really the hard wife to beater not get this in the show. Necklace cornrow combo for a white guy from Jersey. The problem is he's, he's always wanted to be like the the emotional pianist or, you know. Like oh, the, he's a pianist, all right, okay. in this, Hold okay. On, but like, you know, all the, the, the dancer that everybody loves, but what his true calling is, and he was ahead of his time, this is the early prototype version of the Island Boys. Oh. He's an Island Boy. I'm gonna get dumb tattoos. He, you're saying he's like the the Ronda Rousey of the Island Boys. He's got you know? puka shells, a wife beater, and motherfucking cornrows. Dude, how did you not get bullied out of existence in okay, high school? Okay, okay. Um, thank you, Jay, for helping birth this <laughs> franchise. Uh, all right, Luke. Speaking of this franchise, we uh, we win big time awards. We encourage people to like and subscribe and watch what we do three days a week for our live shows, the post fight reactions. Which, by the way, we're gonna hit you hard later today, Bellator. Paris post-fight reaction. Tomorrow night, we're gonna give you a live fight companion. We're gonna give you a UFC 274 slash Canelo post-fight instant analysis breakdown. But part of becoming popular, Luke, is you get to join forces with some really good friends in the industry. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's Chuck Mendenhall. Sometimes that's AG1, motherfucker. Are we doing AG1 read? Can you make it seem spontaneous and natural as if it was something that we, you know. Being like, I'm, I hope we're doing one because I want to talk about this tremendous product <laughs> in my life. I mean, Luke, we love it. But one of the reasons why we love just taking one scoop of vitamins and all that good stuff is it tastes great. It doesn't taste slimy, grimy, too medicinally. Luke, it's got a nice tropical, undersold taste. It feels good. Yes. It makes me feel healthy. Nice and cool. 75 high quality yeah. vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced, whole food sourced superfoods. You can even put the camera on him if you want. And it's, adaptogens yeah. up yeah. in this piece. Yeah, great job there, guys. Uh, this special blend of ingredients, here's the deal. It helps support your gut, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, and your focus. Um, Luke, I don't always eat right. I don't always do the right things. But I know if I'm starting my day with one scoop, I'm at least start putting my best foot forward, Luke, okay? I want to fight this your, shit. Your best put? I want to live, okay? <laughs> All right? Is that how they say put in other foreign languages? I don't know. Uh, Athletic Greens is so easy to use. I take it on, I thought I'd say that I take it on the bus. Even if I was on the bus, I would take it there, but I had to also take it when I'm busy on live stream days. <laughs> Which bus? I mean, seriously. All right, well, it's lifestyle friendly, Luke. I take the bus around town. Bang bus. <laughs> <laughs> 
Whether you're keto, paleo, I prefer vegan, more Captain Stabbing. Dairy-free or gluten-free, uh, this AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, and yet it still tastes good, yeah. Costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Yeah, and it's also a, uh, talk about habits, how about a small micro habit with big benefits? That's what's taken one scoop a day with AG1. Um, it's a great way to take care of yourself, and Luke, how about 7,000 five-star reviews online to back up what we're saying? Can't be wrong. All right, how about Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais, all right? So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day, that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. Look, could you at least act like you're not reading it? <laughs> like, you're like, hold on, let me... Uh, it literally says fucking verbatim. Like, I have to read it verbatim, so that's... Sorry, that's what the rule said. I have to do it. Okay, uh, to make it that's easy... How, that's the fucking agreement. Okay, all right. Sorry, I yelled at you. I'm sorry I yelled at you. Uh, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you, the viewer, okay? Get this. A free one-year supply of the immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash morning combat. Thank you. Yes. You can, you know, you can... Again, oh, know, again. that is athleticgreens.com slash morning combat to take ownership over your health yeah, and pick up the ultimate right. daily nutritional insurance. When I take ownership over this show, that's the BS, that's the business. We put it behind us. Let's get down to it right now. It begins this Saturday. It's time to put your picks on the line. It's time to do this. UFC 274, two title fights top the marquee, a great action fight as well in those top three fights. But we begin with Dobronx, the finisher, Charles Oliveira, making this defense of his lightweight title against the all-action former interim champion, Justin Gaethje. Luke, as I speak right now, the champion Dobronx, a minus 190 mm. betting favorite. Justin Gaethje, plus 160. That's pretty damn close. We know how live Justin Gaethje is. The king of finishers and Charles uh, Dobronx going against the immovable force. I mean, this is... this is The immovable force? An object that's just immovable was really where I was going yes. there. Um, this is a, a fantastic fight. Is it going to be crazy? Is it going to play out to the script that both of these guys know that it's sort of like, you know, not first guy to get you wins, but but, but pretty soon after that, there's going to be high-flying high antics, a lot of violence, a lot of knockdowns. Right. What do you got here? So when you when we did CBS Sports uh, HQ this morning, and I'm, it's okay if you did, but were you disagreeing with me uh, for just the editorial effect, or did you actually disagree? I actually disagreed with okay. you. Okay, so here's why it's hard to know what the actual reality is going to be. The reason why my... So the argument that we had, not argument, but the difference of opinion that we had on CBS Sports HQ was that... To me, this is a question not so much of how good we know they them to be and how potent each of their offenses are in their own ways. I completely agree. Obviously, Oliver is a much more well-rounded threat. Quite obviously, his hands have come a long way, and we know about the submissions. So the, the issue for me when I try to examine this is it's a much more a function of who's going to make mistakes here. Um, because for Justin Gaethje, he cannot make any positional overcommitments or he could get taken down, he could get his back, obviously if he gets his back taken, that's probably gonna be over, right? I don't know if he can really get out of that. Absolutely. I don't, know, I don't see him for three minutes hand and uh, hand fighting from the back, I just don't see that. So, BC disagreed, and I understand the point, which is right, but he's not gonna be on the back foot either. He's gonna be on the front foot, really trying to like press the action and drive and pressure this guy. I agree to an extent, but I think if he gets too crazy, too wild, 
dude, he's going to give Charles Oliveira all the openings he needs. He does have to be disciplined with the so attack, at least early. Yeah, that's the center of the debate you and I had in HQ, where, where you said, look, I need to see a poised, patient, controlled Gaethje at times, right? That doesn't mean not violent. Which he's done a great job at somehow becoming more efficient and poised and calculated, but yet keeping that violent violence quotient so high. Um, do I agree with that? Well, to a certain degree. I also agree, though, that... Charles Oliveira thrives on chaos. He thrives on, he's not, he's not a fighter that makes like swing and miss massive errors and you counter them. He's just somebody who goes for the finish so consistently and so aggressively that it leaves open opportunities for him to get hit. I mean, he got hurt against Chandler. In each of all of these dramatic wins, he's got to go through hell to get here. Luke, not only is there some level of fear of, of how many times can you do that, and, and I don't mean from a damage changing you as a fighter point necessarily, even though that is gonna be in play in, in the long run there, but just like if you're gonna be a gunslinger in the Wild West, you know, you can become a legend, but like it's not a permanent job, Luke. It's not a permanent position when you, when you fight with that type of style. Eventually someone's gonna get you. When I look at who is out there that's most capable or the wrong matchup to play that style against if you're Dobronx of aggressively going for finishes. To me, it's Justin Gaethje. So, so I disagree with your premise of maybe I need to see a more controlled version of him to win this. You may end up being right, but I almost feel like the more this fight gets chaotic, Luke, and gets in that style where Oliveira thrives, pure chaos. Dude, Justin Gaethje was born in chaos, brother. He lives in it. How does you get in, into a, a Do you a, really think the most likely way that Oliveira gets to the back is he drives into Justin Gaethje, takes him down, and then methodically finds his way there? No. Or that Drop. Gaethje overcommits or it gets dragged in certain directions and then the resistance of the takedown itself creates a stable structure, which is what Habib did to take his back. Like, dude, that is very much in play. If you are not maintaining the range you need to maintain, that fight could end in a fucking flash. Well, the he fight can end against Oliveira in a fucking flash anytime. Okay. Okay, that's true for any fight, but you understand that the the very specific nature of their matchup. You, if you're Justin Gaethje and you don't really ever use jujitsu and you use wrestling almost exclusively on the defensive side, dude, you have to be that. Those are by definition defensive postures. I have no offensive jujitsu and I have no offensive wrestling. It's not not on the wrestling side that he uses. That's inherently defensive. You cannot abandon that, especially against a guy where if he gets onto the other side of things, you're fucked. It's you just, can't do that. You know, I think Oliveira's luck is going to run out if this fight looks like Oliveira Chandler. I think this is the guy that that eventually, yes. who, who so, you know, let's give Gaethje his credit. His 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 sole focus is to land that one strike that ends the fight. That's the wrong guy to f around with in this type of equation, in my opinion. But Charles Oliveira has been pulling it off on this ten fight win streak, and and he's been proving to us that. You know, any notion of what, you know, Gaethje said at some point this week that a lot of people talk about of once a quitter, always a quitter. It's like, no, we talked about that on Wednesday. I mean, Oliveira's reformed. He's a different dude. Also, didn't Gaethje, like, technically quit and tap out against Habib? Like, so, I mean, it's, you know, so... The, I thought he went out. It, it, it is, uh, it doesn't hold up well in that regard. But if you're Gaethje, I, w I would try to use that craziness that Oliveira thrives on against him by trying to ratchet it up a little bit more and make it the type of fight, again, where even if Gaethje's a little bit of a changed man in recent memory, that's still, look at the fight against Chandler. This is still the type of fight that he loves and lives for. You're, you're taking chances against somebody as good as Gaethje, Luke. That's why I tell you, I wonder the, the, what the posture of Gaethje will look like early and what this will do. But let me flip it to you on this. Why Charles Oliveira beat Dustin Poirier? 
wasn't necessarily the same reason why he beat the guys before that. Mm -hmm. The wrestling he showed in round two to take top position with an offensive wrestling set, to cover the mouth of Poirier, to, to fight, not dirty, but like raw and aggressive and, and almost, you know, teeing that line with the form. I mean, just really just trying to be grimy. Dude, he mauled Poirier and took a significant chunk of his will and his gas tank out, which I think set up the finish eventually. How much does that become a factor if you are a guy who looks, okay, Oliver's the favorite, he's the champion, why should I back him? Do you think he can do that against Gagey? I'm not sure I understand the question. Do you think can he take Gaethje down Ooh. and have the type of top position success right, right, that right. he had okay. against Poirier? Because I, I thought Poirier was going to beat him. A lot of us did. I didn't see it playing out that way where Poirier's gas tank just gets yanked and gets dominated in that one specific setting. Um, I would say this. Taking down Gaethje is going to be a lot harder than it is to take down Dustin Poirier. So that it remains very much to be seen. I will say according to fight metric... Charles Oliveira averages 2.50, uh, two and a half takedowns per 15 minutes. So per 15 minutes, he's getting about one around. So anything less than that uh, would be obviously under what his average is. Although you can also agree, getting the takedown on Justin Gaethje probably much harder to do than it is for D Dustin Poirier. And then, and I realize he submitted Poirier from the back, but I would point out this: Poirier's defense in that position is just going to be a lot better than Justin Gaethje's, like probably by a considerable margin at that point. So all you might need is just the one to get it. To answer one point you had before, there's no way to say your version of things is wrong either, because is it conceivable, potentially even probable, that there could be a single really hard push from Justin Gaethje to really to just absolutely cause problems, hammer uh, Charles Oliveira, cause him to make mistakes, and then just finish him off? without a shadow of a doubt. Especially is, if he sets it up with leg strikes, to be fair. Especially if right. he does that. We're all, I'm only speaking in grand percentages, and if they fought 100 times, what would be the most probable outcome? For me, the more defensive one, at least I should say, the defensively responsible one will get a better result over time. But okay, I have to acknowledge that. I, I, I just think this, if you're Oliveira, you, ha you have to mix in the takedown attempts. You have to wrestle in different ranges. You have to find a way just to get to a body lock. Remember, you don't have to take down Justin Gaethje, but if you can get to a body lock and then just trip him, and if he lands on his on his hands like he did against Habib, back. All you have to do is not... It's, remember Aljamain Sterling? Did he really get full takedowns on Jan? I think he got two or something like that. But you know what he did do? He took advantage of back exposure. That was all he needed to do. He took mm -hmm. advantage of once the back was exposed. If he can just expose the back of Justin Gaethje where he has to show it to him for whatever reason, that is going to be oh, a winning ticket. That is not a good uh, position to be in. How do you rank Gaethje's chin damage resistance in comparison to the last two tough guys that, that uh, Oliveira just finished? I mean, he finished Michael Chandler and finished Dustin Poirier. He didn't finish you know? Chandler, he went to the distance. Um, no, Oliveira finished Oh, Oliveira, yes, yes. So, sure. you know... Uh, Oliveira finishes guys. That's what he fucking does. He does yeah. it. Uh, you know, he does it in both ways. He does it with striking. He does it with submissions. And uh, he's incredible. Can he do it as easily against the Gaethje? If he give, if he gets Gaethje's back, that's a different equation. But just on on wearing him down. I mean, you saw him walk down Chandler in that second round. Oliveira land the left hook to hurt him, and that turned that fight around. Do you think Gaethje's a little stronger and harder to hurt in that same way striking? Gaethje is easier to hit. He is harder to make use of it, right? So strikes landed per minute uh, for Justin Gaethje. So what he's dishing out, 7.5 uh, per minute, or per, uh, yes, per minute. Strikes absorbed, dude. It's not just a negative differential. I've never seen a number like this. I've seen crazy numbers in one direction. I've even kind of seen them in both. I've never seen both like this. 
he absorbs 7.8 strikes per minute. Like that is so fucking high. <laughs> I can, that is higher than a giraffe's pee. I mean, I just can't even explain to you. That is an, that is an abusive amount of damage. Now, obviously much more of that comes from the early part of his career. Of late, it's been significantly better, but even late, it's not been great. He takes a lot of punishment. So I think that Oliveira will have plenty of opportunity to land on him, but it is gonna take something special from Oliveira for him to be disciplined in a consistent attack because if Poirier proved anything, it's that dude, even if you're landing on this guy consistently, Poirier landed on Gaethje consistently, it, the amount of will he has to just absorb it and move forward, yes is extraordinary. Yeah, both of those stoppage losses that, that you saw uh, Gaethje have on the feet against Alvarez and against Poirier, I mean, dude, they were deep in hell by that point. I mean, they were Look at Alvarez's face. It, yes. was, it was, remember he had the big swollen part of his face? And I, th I don't know if Poirier could walk for a week. And the point is though, when you get that deep into hell, anything can happen and you know, that that's if Alvarez gonna finish him in anything but a choke, obviously it's gonna have to be well down that road into the championship rounds and it being a wild fight. But if I'm a backer of Gaethje and still have my top 10 pound for pound and maybe viewers think overrating him, I'm just guessing, um, critically, the way that Gaethje lost to Habib, how much of that is a negative at his ground slash grappling defensibility? It's a big negative. Again, the old idea that what you have to do is you gotta Pick him up. You can go back to Luke on the, on the, on the, I mean, really, I mean, what are we doing? Is <laughs> Jay, Jay back there? <laughs> the ghost of Jay. The ghost of Jay. Jay. Uh, fuck you two hoes. And then he comes and does this. All right, the point I'm trying to make is, um, what the fuck was the question when I got lost? Uh, you know, it was definitely about Gaethje and uh, the other guy. Oh, oh, know? oh, no, no, no. So the whole idea is if Gaethje, it's not, listen, the old idea was take them, get them on their back, yes. right? create, uh, create uh, essentially uh, hips facing the ceiling for your opponent, move to side, move to mount if you want, but you know, occupy that kind of an attack sequence. And now we're just finding out that that's really difficult to hold someone down, and that's a very old way of, obviously still valuable in certain circumstances for guard passing, but you just can't rely on that, especially against a guy who can wrestle the way Gaethje can. It's again, it's a different meta, it's back exposure. I'm just wondering, is that, am I, do I have a blind spot that Gaethje is way more vulnerable on the ground than I'm realizing and that yes. that could end up being the, now look, we've already established that if, if Oliveira gets the back, the fight's over, that's just Oliveira. Like he's a he's a special animal. But the the transitions that create him getting the back, could 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 this, could Gaethje be his own enemy and, and, and you know, and be on his way to another Habib-like loss? That That's something that, yeah. I, that so I'm I'm just not... trying to explain the difference. Like the difference in grappling is if someone can make you create back exposure and then plant your weight, to create a stable structure for them to then use to climb. That's what Gaethje, that's what uh, Habib did. Remember, he shot the double, turned, and you saw Gaethje go to all fours, and or at least I think his hands and knees, but that is all Habib needed. He did not need him to go all the way like a beetle turned over. He just needed him to create a stable structure for then him to climb, because if someone is planting their weight and driving it down, they're actually gonna be pretty sturdy, and then you can get to the back and you can do all this stuff. It's a completely different thing, but in order to pull that off, Yes, the person doing it has to be very good, but there has to be a very wide gap in skill between yeah. them. And so what I would say is, not that Oliveira is on par with Habib, they're very different grapplers, just the same. But I think if Habib can do something like that, Oliveira should be able to do that as well. That's To me, this is again, again the danger of, you have to keep that guy completely off yeah. of you. No overhooks, no underhooks, no nothing. 
Oliveira's finally getting like the critical respect, and I, you know, I have to assume he's starting to get more commercial appeal, doing you know, highlight real victory after another on the pay-per-view title level against our heroes. Basically, you know, Dustin Poirier, you know, Michael Chandler, now uh, Justin Gaethje. Do you think though his shtick um, is 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 a little underrated in how badass it is with with dyeing the hair, with you know what I mean, like being all about the favela? Like I'm falling in love with with like. Joe Bronx, the character at this level as well. You should ask the fans. I mean, I, I, I You're like. I'm not a fan. I'm a community college professor. No, <laughs> that's, that's funny actually. Uh, what I mean is, I don't really. Some fighters I do care about their personality. Some ones I don't. Some ones I like. Some ones I don't. I have no issue at all with his flair for the dramatic and whatnot. But it's so irrelevant to me because I find his game electrifying. I don't care if he dyes his hair. You're like or I don't need it. the sauce. The meat is so good. The sauce, well, you think the fucking sauce is the hair dye, not the triangle chokes, the motherfucker? Sweat, that tells you that tells you how fucking terrible your palate is. No, that you no, think, no, no, no. That no. you think hair it's dye the, and sunglasses is the sauce. It's, it's the BDE, it's the aura. <laughs> no, that's, that's, a that's, fueled, dude, that's a consequence of the triangles, it's of the It's fueled striking. by the triangles, it's fueled by the success, it's fueled by the finishes. You start making you, finishes, you have the whether it's the in the cage or in the dorm floors, Luke, you come out of there acting like an alpha, okay? Listen, so just you start because, dying Just your because hair. I unfairly yelled at you on Monday doesn't mean you're right about the sauce here. I'm sorry about that, BC. Thank you, thank you. You're my main bitch. <laughs> Damn, I got too many wives. And a, a real one, an editorial one, that's, that's you know, all right. Luke, it's, it is time though. Um, we talked about the stakes and there's there's big time stakes. Whoever they both fight next coming out of here with a win is, is we're gonna continue on down that road. There's, there's uh, this division is loaded and Islam's eventually gonna get his chance and there's no shortage of all action opponents. Um, no chance it goes the distance, though. No chance it goes five full rounds. I'm saying hell no. I would. I don't love, know what those odds are, yeah, but I well, yeah, exactly. What are the odds on that? I would bet. I would very much take the under. Yes. Very. I cannot imagine how two devastating finishers like this would not finish. I, yes, it, ha it has to go. I, that, the, only, the only part that is interesting, though, is exactly where, because a first round finish, 100% in play in either direction. Yes. But like, what happens after the first? Who do you then begin to favor? Because after the first, Gaethje's, Gaethje's cardio is not shit. It's very good. You know, obviously, we'll be able to depend on what happens in the first, but like, who would you favor? If they get out of the first round, who would you favor into the second, into the third? And again, we don't know it's the It's weird. So I, I think you can, you can, from what we've seen of late, you can say, well, I like Oliveira in the second and the third, especially if the first is batshit crazy, kind of like the Chandler fight. Like, we know that he lives for this. It has he to can swim Oliveira. in this. It has to. But, but who does it favor in rounds four and five if we've been through a lot of reversals and control and submission threats Dude, and all of that? Dude, if Oliveira is around in the fourth round, if Gaethje couldn't put him out in 15 minutes, yeah. that has to be a good sign for him. Gaethje, he does get rocked. He does get dropped. Know, that's the thing. I was going to ask you, do you think Gaethje becomes more vulnerable by the end of round four and five historically? Now, if it's a fight where he's completely dictating the terms and kicking your ass, that's different. Yeah. But in the absolute wars, when they got that far, that's when you can finish Gaethje. I mean, you got to be a man to yes. do it. I mean, you got to fucking you gotta bite that. you got to be a fucking dog to finish but him. boy is Oliveira that dog. I understand that we can just look at the Gaethje versus Tony fight and be like, well, that one went late. It didn't favor Tony. In fact, it just got it's worse. He's kicking his ass. I understand because it's a different fight. There's a lot of ways where, of course, what I'm saying would not make sense. But I would just argue if you're Charles Oliveira and you're heading into the fourth round, some part of that has to be a bit of a good sign. Some part of that, because yeah. he just Gaethje is going to be a fucking huge threat at every time, but that power punching is going to be uh, uh, ready to go from the moment that opening bell rings. So if you have survived that, again, we'll see what happens. 
That would favor, I think, at least on, on most cases, Oliveira. Uh, it's prediction time, Luke, and here's what I'm gonna tell you. You know what fight this is gonna end up looking a lot like? Huh. UFC 201. UFC 201. Tyron Woodley, Robbie Lawler. Just goes in there and smokes him? Uh, I just think, would you be, you wouldn't be shocked if Oliveira wins and wins by a spectacular you know, stoppage and you know, almost gets finished himself to then do the finishing. No one will be surprised by that. How surprised would you be though if Gaethje comes out and just the first big combination or big punch he lands, he stops Charles Oliveira. It's not, not that not Oliveira, surprised at all. It's not that Oliveira doesn't still have it. It's again, how many times you show up to be the gunsling, gunslinger in that duel. You know what I mean? Aaron Burr might be coming through that door eventually. You know what I'm saying? Is Justin Gaethje Aaron Burr? Historically. I have gone back and forth on this one. This I say me, yes. I say this. He comes in there. They have some smoke. They ch exchange the flames. But the first big one, Gaethje stops him and gets the win. Luke, you, you can only, dude, you can only sling for so long, Luke, okay? Bro, I was slinging in my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I like Justin Gaethje by first-round stoppage. What does Luke say? Well, looking at this here real quickly, Dustin Poirier landed 54 of 87 strikes on Charles Oliveira in round one, but he managed to, and did score a knockdown, but he managed to hang on. And then Michael Chandler, in their fight uh, against, uh, let's see, here we go, in the first round, Michael Chandler landed, Jesus, just 28 of 51, but that's still a lot. And then, um, you know, the, he was able to, they didn't count it as a knockdown, but it looked like a knockdown to me. I guess they called it a takedown. In either case, dude, this is a coin flip, man. I really yeah. don't know. So the way I'm leaning, I have, I have, I'll just go this way. To, to your point, if Gaethje goes out there and just drops a fucking bomb on him at any point, is at any point that surprising? It should not be to you. He is that kind of a finisher. It's a finish way. And Oliver gets hit, let's be and honest. He gets hit, there's no denying. I'm just gonna pick, I'm gonna pick the champ, and the reason why I'm gonna pick the champ is because I have been, I have consistently underrated him. Yes. I've always thought he's good, but I did not see the reformation coming. I did not see those victories. I, I thought Dustin Poirier for sure was gonna beat him. And dude, he really, he is, he's a tremendous fighter. He's a tremendous talent. And I really believe, I understand where Justin Gaethje is coming from and making the comments about the quitting. But I also believe that o Oliveira is, has really, you can work on your resiliency. It is a thing that is possible. And I think he's, I think he's a different guy. I'm gonna go with the champ, I, I, but I recognize what a fight. I mean, what, what, what a, a fight. fight. I can't wait to see this. Luke, co-main event is uh, redemption. Wait, 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 what about you? You're picking Gage? I picked Gage by first round finish. Wow. While you were in your computer, the people Sorry, I was, that pulling, out, up the, I was okay? pulling up the stats. I'm sorry. It's all right. Uh, rematch in the flyweight title. Right, so when, you, when you said it was Woodley versus Lawler, I wasn't sure who you were assigning Woodley and yeah, who you were assigning Lawler. It was a little mysterious. That's you know? <laughs> <laughs> how I creep up in the night. You know what I mean? Uh, Luke, it's Rose Namajunas who lost the inaugural 115 pound title bout in 2014, tough finale, end of the year, seven and a half years later though, right? She's the best in the game in this weight class, but Carla Esparza is coming on with five straight wins. So Luke, we already hit up all the points on the romanticism and the, the redemption angle and all of that. Let's get into the actual fight where Rose Namajunas is a minus 200 betting favorite Carla Esparza plus 170. Luke, if I tell you, because obviously as much as Rose has made this incredible evolution in her game, damn so has Carla Esparza during this win streak. If I tell you Esparza is able to take Rose down at least once per round, maybe even more, we all know that's a fight Carla Esparza can win. No question about it, that's how she wins. 
Can she win any other way, though, Luke? That's the question no. against this version of Rose. No, I mean, yes. I mean, an errant punch could land, rock her, and then she could finish her off on the feet. That seems unlikely. Also, I was speaking with Dean Thomas yesterday. Oh, yeah. He made a really good point, which is, it's like, it's not just that, you know, if Carla and Rose just had a striking battle, you would favor Rose, um, and favor Rose to win probably quite handily. He goes, the other part is that he still believes that, you know, what Esparza has shown in a couple of the fights is just a lack of composure on the feet under fire. Yes. Right, this goes back to the thing we always talk about. No fighter likes to get hit, but some lose composure and some don't. It's just part of the human experience. She gets hit a lot, too. And she gets hit a lot, and so her composure under fire standing is not great. However, you asked about the takedowns. Was she good for a round, uh, one around, maybe more? Yes. 3.53 per 15 minutes. She is good for at least mm -hmm. one takedown around. And we have to assume, even though Rose's wrestling is, has become also very good, Esparza's gonna, gonna take her to her back. It's what she does with it. Can she keep her there? Can she start landing off? Let, let me just say this. I, it'll be the real question about the takedowns is one, obviously, can she get them? I'm going to assume over time she will get some. The other question is, does she get them in open space? Does she get them against the cage? I really wonder about that because if she gets him against the cage, that's really going to aid. I think Rose has good defensive wrestling. I don't think it's nearly as good from the from the starting point of her back, not her feet, right? So imagine you were doing a partner drill. One person's on bottom, one person's on top in full guard. And the, 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 the task of the person in full guard is to then stand. Yes. Right? I don't think her stand-up capacity in that context is nearly as good no. as was it is along the fence line. Her, her fence defensive wrestling, I think, is actually a little bit better. So that will be the key. So let's posit a scenario. Let's posit a scenario where Esparza is able to get the takedown relative to her average, so at least one around, and then t I wish they had like average control time, but we don't have that. Yeah. But the other one I would say is, and then where is it? I bet you Richard Mann has it. He's probably sitting all over that good shit. Right? Just hiding that shit, bitch. Um, but what I'm saying is, if we have that in play, you're gonna have, there's a very good chance you're gonna have a new strawweight champ. I, I honestly feel like people, and by the way, I want to shout out to Dan Tom over at MMA Junkie who is just a phenomenal analyst, does consistently great work. You know, of course, no two people always agree on things, but I usually find myself nodding at a lot of what he has to say. He has outright picked Esparza. Wow. And he made a, if you've not read it, you don't have to agree. I'm not asking everyone to buy in, but he makes a very, very compelling argument that you should take seriously. Esparza, does not have the game that Rose has. But we're not asking about that. But does she have the game that Rose is the most vulnerable against? That's the key question. And can she, and then once she's able to make it work, getting her down, okay, not against the fence, what can she do in that context? Yeah. Then then what can she do? We, we shall see. But I think people are sleeping on Esparza's chances here a little bit. Okay, here, but let's be fair. Before, this win streak's been great. But like we mentioned on Wednesday, there's been some split decisions. There's been some, when there's a split decision, sometimes it's bad judging, sometimes it's, because it's closer. Dude, she's fighting it's, fucking Marina Rodriguez. It's a little uneven in your performance. It can be different things. But here's the point: if I didn't see the most recent one, Yao Shanan, who she finished, and she finished violently, and the motor—I mean, look, her motor's always there. She's somebody that's going to maul you and wear you down. Like I liked watching um, Rose. The, the UFC countdown made Rose rewatch that fight with Pat Barry next to her in the living room. And you know, I like you like to see some of the natural reactions there. And they both just kept saying, you know. We, we thought we had this easily, but what Esparza does is she forces you to eventually quit. She just, you know, she aims at that, at that spot in the Death Star, that one shot you can hit, and she just keeps going at it until you quit. Like, the Rose from 2014 could get suspect in that. I don't think modern-day Rose can, though. And if I didn't see the Yao Shanan finish, Luke, 
I don't know if I'd be giving Esparza much chance at all, but that does show me that she has not only, I mean, she's gotten a lot stronger if you look at her build, and she's still gonna be able to push that pace, and now she can finish you on top if you're not great down there. So I'm gonna give her that finisher's chance. That's why the odds were they at, that's why some people are picking her. But at the end of the day though, Luke, for as much as they've grown, Rose has grown to be like great, like super elite, like all time great in some, some ways of looking at it. I don't think Esparza's on that same level or really all that close, even though like what you're saying, it may not matter because if she has the game that taps at Rose's most vulnerable areas, then it won't matter, right? Styles make fights. But I don't think you can crack Rose anymore. I think she's too battle-tested, Luke. Okay, I'm gonna, I don't think I'm gonna read, these, I'm gonna like read these names to you, okay? Zhang Wiley, Zhang Wiley, Jessica Andrade, and then a loss to Jessica Andrade, and then Joanna and Jacek, right? These are all ec excellent fighters. Um, truly, truly very special talents. But which of them has a traditional wrestling background and a traditional wrestling attack in MMA? Certainly not Ian Jacek. I would also argue Andrade is not that way. And neither is Zhang Wiley. Carla, Espar Carla Esparza has many known documented limits. No question about it. She does not have the overall ability of Rose. No question about it. But the unique threat that she presents is a genuine problem for Rose Nami. Okay, but two counter things to that. One, Rose did face a wrestling heavy Zhang Weili in the rematch. Yeah, but okay. And it was this tactical uh, fight, okay? Yeah, sure, that's fine. But two, even though I agree with you that this fight could end up being more competitive than most people think because of what exactly what we're saying, the thing that Esparza does best might be the one opening where you can compromise or challenge Rose the most. We're still banking on the idea that Carla can basically make Rose quit. You know what I'm saying? That can either beat her into giving up her back or can wear her out to win a decision or can outright finish her. That's, Rose ain't that person anymore, Luke. That's the thing, though. It's not like we're saying, okay, maybe a submission happens and you get caught. Look, you get caught. She's gonna have to beat the fight out of the champion. Rose just went through hell with Andrade in the rematch. She, you know, she's been in these five-round thrillers with Joanna and then uh, Whaley in the rematch. As far as it's not been on that same no, level, you're but not gonna what's break What's that got to do with the method of attack? Because I don't think for Esparza to win, she's gonna have to break Rose. I don't think she can. She doesn't have to break Rose at all. She just has to slice her open. She doesn't have to break anything. I, I think it, she'll need more than just a, a cut or, or a round in which you score it for her because she was dominant on top. She's gonna need more to win this. Yeah, game. she has to do the best she's ever done. I would agree. Yeah. But honestly, like, I wouldn't say that, you know, two back-to-back -back wins over Zhang Wiley, two back-to-back -back fights, one of them being a redemption win against Andrade and Indian Jacek. As good as what Hasparza has done, it, it's tremendous, but it doesn't match that. But dude, it's not- But she not, beat Rodriguez, she dude, did she beat- she beat yeah. Genji Roba, Grasso, Waterson, Rodriguez, and Yan Xiaonan. If I took away the name of the person who won, and I told you that is their five fight win streak, you'd be like, yeah, that motherfucker yeah. is yeah. good. Dude, so I just feel like, I get the point, there's been a level at which Rose has been tasked to fight that she has not only, uh, which, which, which by itself separates her from Carla, but she has risen to the occasion in almost all those scenarios, save for the first Andrade fight. There Absolutely. are no, no argument. Absolutely. I just don't, I'm, I'm gonna say this, and I think, I'm, I'm, to answer the question, I'm gonna pick Rose, I'm gonna pick Rose, but I, this one, you gotta watch with, through your fingers a little bit. Carla Esparza is being underrated because subsequent to their last fight, she has not had the decorated return in many ways that uh, Rose has in the fight game, fans don't like her as much. 
What the fuck does any of that have to do with her double leg in the center of the cage? Nothing. Not, nothing double leg couldn't figure out, I'll tell you that much, but they do have to be on the feet at certain key times. I think Rose is going to piece her up. <laughs> Before we get there, though, in the final prediction, you chatted with Rose Namajunas. Of course, youtube.com slash morningcombat can get you all our great bonus chats with the likes of, uh, I don't know, Juliana Pena, Michael Chandler, Kayla Harrison. How about Rose Namajunas talking about what techniques will be needed to get past the Sparza here in this rematch? God, you're stupid. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is fun. What are we doing? What this, are we... Is, this is a very good oh, show. Yeah, I think it's always been um, sort of, it's been pretty organic, I would say. Um, there's been, I've had to, I've just been kind of like, I think a lot of fighters, I would say, we're all just kind of figuring shit out on the fly <laughs> as far hmm. as like, uh, there, there's no rule book to like this. It, it, the, for, the sport is still evolving and still, you know, new things are coming up all the time. So um, I think that just with my Taekwondo background, it sort of evolved. And then, and then along the way, this journey, I've, I've come across just, I've, I've um, uh, crossed paths with so many different people that has like sort of just, it's like, it's like making gumbo. You know what I mean? It's just mm -hmm. like, you just kind of make it as you go along and you just kind of add new flavors to it. And so this is kind of what I came up with. It's like, um, yeah. So there, so there's a certain structure to, to how, like, I know this works for my style. I know this works for my body type. And then, um, and then it's just like kind of trial and error and like adding things as we go along. Uh, very good chat with Rose right there, Luke. It's a redemption angle at the end of the day. I think she's the better, far better fighter who can no longer be pushed and bullied in those same ways, even with the style contrast here. So not only am I picking Rose to, to win, I think she gets the rear naked choke. I think she goes full circle and beats Carla the same way she got beat. It's gonna take, obviously- well, You love pro wrestling. Uh, you know, I, just, I like a good story. You know, I like a, I like a good, uh, I like a good feeling on the inside. Are you the guy who watches like all the porn stories up front, like the pizza delivery and like fixing the plumber and stuff? You're like, I need that first before I can get in the mood. Wow, wow. All right, so uh, Luke, I, I, I think it's gonna take her being on her back at times, but she's gonna figure out how to reverse that, Luke. I think her jujitsu is is far ahead of Carla's and. Uh, you're gonna see what happens here, Luke. I think Esparza is gonna give her a hell of a fight. I just don't know if it's gonna be enough um, each round to to put Rose out of the fight such that she can't figure it out later in the fight. So yeah. round three, round four. Um, but I think Esparza is gonna, Rose has her hands full. I really believe Big that. Big night for Trevor Whitman once again, who will be yeah. in H's corner, will be in Rose's. Remember that fight card last year? He had those two and the Woodley fight on the same night. Yeah. 
must be a nice uh, nice paycheck after a loaded weekend. I like hope that, he deserves coach. it. Coach, uh, well done it. there. Uh, Luke, Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, lightweights. We expect all action. We talked Wednesday about the fears of exactly where Tony Ferguson at, is at. You can check out our bonus video as well, reacting to Tony's comments about Dana White and fighter pay and all that. But that's not going to matter when they touch gloves, Luke Thomas. Michael Chandler, minus 380, your betting favorite. Tony Ferguson, plus 290. Luke, we got some sound with Michael Chandler about what he has to do here in this matchup. Let's toss to that, then we'll break down who wins and why. Not always. It's definitely not always the best path to victory. You know, I mean... Granted, you know, when we talk about the Justin Gaethje fight, which went down as fight of the year and hopefully makes it into the Hall of Fame in the fight wing some, sometime soon, um, I think I was caught up in the moment, man. You, you, uh, you put any human being in the middle of Madison Square Garden with that many screaming fans and you look at your opponent with cross-eyed and, and on roller skates after you get them hurt, you start smelling, you start smelling blood and uh, you throw caution to the wind. I couldn't hear my coaches, couldn't hear anything. Um, don't remember much about the fight. Um, so it just, uh, I was an autopilot and luckily for me, autopilot is, uh, is wildly entertaining and indomitable, but, uh, you know, I think you'll see, yeah, I've shown shades of a, uh, you know, a smart and sharp, composed and confident, more veteran. And, uh, I think you'll see that on, on Saturday, next Saturday night, May 7th. And, uh, but when I smell blood, I'm coming for the finish. Absolute alphas right there. Well, uh, there was an alpha on screen. I can yeah, agree. Yeah. I did see uh, an alpha. Luke, the main point of Chandler's uh, answer there was he knows he he probably should fight a little bit more poised and controlled, knowing the advantages he believes he'll have in every category here against Tony than the fighter we saw who was balls out in his last two. Now, let, me, let me ask this question because it relates to the question you asked, the one the debate we had about Gaethje and uh, Oliveira up front. Would you agree in this particular case, because Tony is is Tony, very unorthodox, you know, uh, creates a lot of defensive vulnerabilities, but it creates a lot of offensive, uh, fantastic conditions for him. Does, in this case, Chandler need to be what I'm prescribing for Gaethje, which is you have to be attack, you have to be offensive, but you got to be real disciplined with that attack. I agree, because if you're asking me, could he go balls out like he always does and beat this version of Tony Ferguson? Yeah, you can also argue that going balls out because Tony does fight in such an unpredictable style could leave you open to mistakes. You know, you don't want to make a mistake against Tony Ferguson. You know, he can get on you and end it that quickly. Um, I do agree, though. This is this. Look, be poised, be calculated. Look for the big counter shot because we know that Tony is just part of who he is. Man, he 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 welcomes danger sometimes too much. You know, he 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 puts himself in spots where he's able to take your biggest shots, so then he can pull out a shrimp roll. An Imanari, whatever, whatever you yeah. got, whatever you guys are getting in your bento boxes these days, Luke. Um, but Mazakazu Imanori is who it's named after. It does come down to how much can Tony, who seems to be mentally like refocused and he's angry, and he said, you know, he's had a year off, and and he's, but yet, he, like you said, he's got some gray, he's got the, you know, the hairline's going. I mean, he looks like a warrior who's been through the shit. Yep. He is, he is, he has been. How much can he turn back? And like, you know, there's levels of turning back the clock. A win here, the crowd would go ape shit. And it's in play, it's, he can win this fight. He's that good of a fighter. But Luke, how much damage is too much? Man, uh, this is gonna be, um, this is gonna tell us because Chandler, if nothing else, dishes it out. But I actually, there, it, people think we're dismissing Tony's chances. We are acknowledging Tony's 
difficulties given the larger circumstances, right? He is 38 years old. He is coming off of a string of three losses. Obviously against very good guys, but a string of three losses. He has absorbed a lot of damage. That fight against Gaethje was uniquely brutal, right? These things can't count in his favor. They just, they do not correspond to, uh, to success by themselves. However, BC, you would also agree that Michael Chandler, while I would probably favor here, and I do think his favor, what the fuck are you doing <laughs> with this mission impossible bullshit in the middle of my point? The, can you be polite to Ashley? She just gave. She I'm not mad at Ashley. You're just you. You're like you lit a firecracker, and then a <laughs> series of dominoes fell. Jake von Amsterdam stands up with a camera for what fucking reason? I don't know. Ashley is switching out apple boxes with you. I just pouring your coffee. <laughs> I just wanted more coffee, Luke. Okay, all right. You know why is he filming that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't direct this show. Oh my god! Uh, I'm like, what the fuck? I'm looking at the side of my face, and there's just action. I don't Luke, like. Uh, our life is a documentary, okay? I see that, I yeah. see that. Uh, what are we talking about? I don't fucking know. Oh, yes. The, the only point I'd raise quickly to sum it all up, Michael Chandler should win this fight and probably will win this fight. But Tony Ferguson's open style of offense and his ability to catch people with it, if Michael Chandler is really not minding his P's and Q's, this is an open opportunity for him. Michael Chandler is there through his aggression he creates openings. It's simply the way that it goes. He is so much more clever about it. I go back to the body kick and the stance switch. He hit against Benson Henderson on his way out the door of Bellator. Obviously, the, the look high, look low, switching up the stance to catch Dan Hooker. Dude, he is very, very crafty. But, but, if the fight goes long at all, he will relax those standards. And that is really the task for Tony Ferguson. Um, As you finish your, what, whatever this was. <laughs> I just, I mean, I drink. BC's like, hey, can we stage a high school play to my left while the show is on? <laughs> what, are, what are we doing? <laughs> we'll be doing Our Town at Summerstock this year. Yo, too, I wanna the, see Taming of the Shrew. Yeah, wow. Wow, I'm drinking this black too, Luke, okay? I bet you are. Um, if Tony Ferguson is able to pull off this type of emotional, dramatic victory, is the most likely scenario when Chandler takes him down or knocks him down? See, I think if I'm Chandler, Chandler in you... top position, are you vulnerable against the submission ability? Because so yes Ferguson and no. can pull shit out of nowhere. Dude. Yeah, yes and no. I don't know that Tony can submit uh, Michael Chandler. I mean, yes, Michael Chandler could be submitted, but you, you got to re remember Eddie Alvarez had Chandler's back for a long time oh, in their neck rematch. Is a, is just it's a, big, and the big one I would go back to is who is Bellator's version of Charles Oliveira? It doesn't quite line up, but the closest thing, would, or at least the old version of Charles Oliveira, no, it'd be Goichi Yamauchi, who's a very has a ridiculous guard. He has a super good guard, and Chandler was able to fight him inside of the guard without getting submitted. It didn't create for the most excitement but he can do it, he can avoid the submission. However, however, that's not the point. The point is, could Ferguson use it to create a scramble? Could he use it to create a reversal, right? Where he now gets on top, or then he can get to the back, he can create back exposure. That, to me, is very much in play, but by itself, submitting him from guard, unlikely. Give me Chandler, give me a third round TKO, Luke. I hope uh, Tony doesn't, doesn't get hurt. I would pop just as anyone else would for a Tony resurgence here. I have really no idea what to expect except for feeling that dread as we talked about the other day. Uh, what do you see? Yeah, I, I, just as a disclaimer, you should not listen to my predictions because they're not very good. But again, to the best of my assessment, I'm probably gonna go Michael Chandler. I'm not gonna go as late as you. I'm gonna say that he actually gets a stoppage here in the second round. 
Um, could be a ref stoppage where, here's another thing to think about, dude. We haven't even talked about this. Does the ref go into this fight? I know, and I know what they're supposed to do, which is take all these things neutrally, but they're not supposed to take it neutrally. If you were the referee in the Evander Holyfield Vitor Belfort boxing match, you're not going to treat Evander like he's 25-year-old Evander. <laughs> Huh? You're referencing it so quickly, no, no, I forgot no. it even happened. Yeah, Damn. and I'm not here to say that this is that Tony Ferguson should be compared to Evander. Not even close. That's not what I'm saying. He's still a top 10 ranked fighter. But what I am saying is if the abuse starts to get bad and if it goes downhill, these are big ifs. By the way, Tony Ferguson can deal too. But we're operating under the assumption that it's going bad. Does the referee intervene a little earlier because he is a 38-year-old fighter yeah. and he's coming off three losses in a row? Like if you're the referee... That might be in play, too. So yes. I'm going to say second-round win, Michael Chandler. Chandler's uh, dangerous, but he's dangerous to himself. So that's always something to think about as well. Oh, just want to note this, too, but this should be pointed out. A lot out. of talking, a lot of chatting. Go, what's going on? Here? I know. Just yeah, Is this camera guy doing his own podcast over here? I mean, what's going on? This is called the Whisper Podcast. Yeah. It's actually the most popular one in this building. Uh, 4.98 uh, strikes absorbed per minute for Michael Chandler. 3.78 for Tony. Um, both of those are high, but Michael Chandler does take, on average, more damage. Uh, we got to keep the show moving, Luke, because we got big business. Hey, by the way, we had a reigning and defending UFC champion right there yesterday. We sure did. Yesterday. And it went, it went great. More to come on that. Uh, Luke, anything else on this fight card? We hit up the storylines on Wednesday. Do you want to make any picks? Do you want to circle in on one bout above all else that'll tell us something important? Um, no. Yeah, that's a great idea. Let's keep the show moving. Yep. Okay. Uh, Big Time Boxing is also back this Saturday. Zone pay-per-view. They've gone full-on into that area, and Canelo Alvarez is back after the one-off with the PBC to fight Caleb Plant. He'll move back up to light heavyweight this Saturday, T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas, against Dimitri Bivol. If you don't know anything about Dimitri Bivol, he is your unbeaten WBA 175-pound champion from Russia. He's, uh, he's going to have a four-inch height advantage, a two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage against Canelo. He's 31 years old like Canelo and in his absolute prime. But, Luke, the key thing I've been talking about this week, nobody looks good against Dimitri Bivol. So, like, of all the options Canelo had, we rightfully praise him for, for going out of his way to take on this super difficult fight against one of the best pure boxers in this game who controls distance and no one, win or lose, lose, he's never lost, but no one looks good against him. Dude, this has like kind of high trap fight potential. Yeah, no one's and taking it nobody's seriously. fucking noticing or caring at this now, moment. Now we did say that about Dillian White and he just got fucking smoked. So why is this different? Because I asked certain things of Dillian White that just wasn't there on this day. Like, I knew he was going to try to push a pace, which would be his best chance to win. He has punching power, but he was going to have to get off combinations and shots to make it a brawl, and he just was overwhelmed by the, the gap in technique. Also, and, he was the smaller of the two. Canelo he here was the smaller of the two. He kind of froze, too, to some degree. But Bivol, Luke, is, you know, huge amateur background. He's born in Kyrgyzstan when it was under Russian control, and um, I believe his parents are, are of... Uh, Moldovian and maybe Korean descent. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is, you know, two-time amateur, glo you know, world champion, but he boxes from the outside. Great jab. Statistically, the the lands the most jabs per round of anybody that CompuBox counts in the entire sport, but doesn't put himself in, in places to get hit. Nope. At all, really. You know what I mean? He like he's a, fair, fair to say, he has a very refined, very effective 
but very basic offense. So when we're talking about like, well, maybe Billy Joe Saunders can kind of slow down the fight and do certain things to Canelo, or maybe Caleb Plant with the quickness can outwork him. This is a different what if, meaning this guy's gonna have to do something that Canelo's never seen, right? Mm -hmm. But let's not forget, Canelo's moving up in weight and fighting a natural light heavyweight here. Um, even though Bivol's not a big puncher, if he can take control of the terms of the fight and keep on the outside, he's so accurate, his combinations are beautiful, he goes to the body great, and Luke, most importantly in that scenario, is defensively, he's the best fighter in the game statistically. He stands in first place on those CompuBox statistics of fewest punches landed by their opponents, and the plus minus thing that you see in hockey, they, boxing you know, does that as well in terms of showing you how good your defense is in relation to your offense. He's number one in the game. He's ahead of like Fury and Canelo and Lomachenko. Spence. Like he is, Bivol, like the most efficient in, in control of what he's doing out there. And so Canelo's the smaller guy who's gonna have to push that pace, gonna have to be the biggest puncher, gonna have to get inside and go to the body. But I, I almost have some weird, even though it was a different scenario, Pacquiao-Ugas feels, meaning it was supposed to be Pacquiao against Spence a couple years back, or last year, you know, Spence pulls out. Ugas was the wrong, even though Canelo and Pacquiao aren't in the same situation in their careers, Ugas was the wrong guy to fight last minute like that with so much, you know, like at stake there, right? He's just too good technically. Is there a question coming at some point? Yeah. This feels like that has that potential. Mm. Um, do you do you have that same fear? No, I do not. You think Canelo eventually finds a way in? Here is the ba here is the basic way I see this fight. Take it for what it's worth. Probably little, but the best assessment I can have is everything you said about Bivol is correct. It's a great jab. He's got. I mean, it's just phenomenal. It, it can do a lot. Range fine. It can pump it with some power. It can be effective. It can be consistent. It does a lot. It serves a lot of functions. Establishes range. The whole nine yards. But. He does not have a lot of creativity behind it. After that, it becomes a very basic game. A lot of one-twos, one-two-threes. But he is not a razzle-dazzle kind of boxer. Well, he'll throw three, four-punch combinations yes, and he'll mix in he's body not, shots. Not, I'm not saying it. he's not a combination puncher, but there's nothing especially creative about them. He's just got hardcore, well-established basics. And that's why he's undefeated and that's why he's good. Please don't miss it. When I say basics, people think that means bad. No. No, it means the fundamentals. He, yeah. But it means, it means everything about him is very sharp. But there's just not a whole lot to that. I think a guy like Canelo, you you marvel at his power, you marvel at the fact that he's never been knocked down. I mean, a fucking rock chin. But the thing that I think gets lost in all of it is, dude, he is one of the smartest fighters that we have. Maybe yes. Bud Crawford's number one, you know, but Canelo, not talking about pound for pound rankings, but just who is creative and sharp and incisive. Canelo is a fucking genius. I mean, he figures there. out how to how to how to get inside eventually on everyone and get them the hell out. That's of right. So what do I mean? I think he's going to have to rally in this fight a little bit because I actually think that Bivol's jab to start is going to be a major problem for him, as it is from all the guys that Bivol has literally ever fought. No one's ever really figured out a way to work around that, at least for enough to get the W. So I think Canelo's going to have to fight out of a deficit. But a guy as creative and clever and sharp. By the way, remember, Eddie Reynoso, creative and clever and sharp. They are going to have, I think, by the mid-rounds, that fight is going to turn. And I think in the end, it's going to be Canelo, which is fucking crazy to say, but I think Canelo is actually going to win a decision here pretty cleanly. Wow. All right, I talked to both Canelo and Bivol. Canelo compare, uh, compares Bivol to a mixture of Sergey Kovalev, which is the last time Canelo fought at this weight class three years ago when Canelo won the WBC title by knockout and then vacated it. But Kovalev used the jab to kind of outbox Canelo from and it, like, and it worked until it didn't. But until it, did it work. didn't, it but did like work. you know, some people had Kovalev ahead or or even at that point. And Golovkin 
because even though Golovkin's a much bigger puncher, Golovkin knows how to use distance and, and technique like Bivol to set up his punches. Not, Bivol not as devastating against other light heavyweights as a puncher, but let's not also not forget, like Canelo's moving up in weight again, and he's only fought one guy at 175, and that was Kovalev, who can crack, but didn't go for it in that fight, really just fought safe and conservative. Um, at some point, Luke, Canelo's gonna have to hit a wall or meet a guy with just big pop, where he goes, I can't get through that. But dude, he's not putting limits on himself. So let's go to Canelo right now, in which I asked him, you already talked about maybe going up to cruiserweight, and something we can get into in a minute, even talk about maybe fighting at heavyweight for the title against Usyk, when will the wall hit you? When will enough be too much where you feel like, you know, this power is, is stopping you from winning? Ah, uh, no. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> never. Never in my life. One time when I, when I fought, when I fought uh, the brother of Koto, uh, made me, like, a little bit in my legs, but I don't feel anything in my, in my head, so maybe. That was actually Canelo talking about whether he's ever been hurt, Luke. He said, I asked him specifically about Triple G as the follow-up, and he's like, no, 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 you know, I don't remember, never been hurt. Only he referenced that 2010, you know, hook from uh, Jose Miguel Cotto. But the, the other answer that I was trying to tee up there is Canelo just says, look, there's no limits, man. There's no limits. And it's like, you, you love that about him, but eventually he's gonna meet somebody who either punches too hard or can control the terms of the fight too much that like watching old Pacquiao trying to rally against Ugas and it was an uphill battle. Again, this is not old Pacquiao, it's Canelo. But dude, this guy can hold the fort down. This guy's ready to go 12 rounds with you. This, this, is, this is why I take that seriously because again, you go to the Kovalev fight, dude, if that, I mean, who's to say what would have happened had the, had the knockdown stoppage not happened? You know, it, it did and it did for a very good reason. But to, to BC's point, up until that fight, dude, Canelo was losing. He was losing that contest. Now that's not so much, maybe you could say that with Billy Joe Saunders and, and some other ones, but like there's been a lot of times where I've seen, I thought Aris Lundy Lara was beating him, you know. I thought he beat him, I, I was yeah. like, you know, and what I'm pointing out is Canelo courts danger, not just in a theoretical sense, in a literal sense. He's down on the cards. He's going to a bigger weight class. He is, uh, you know, can't find an opponent who's on the move or whatever. He really embraces it and yet, with the exception of fucking Mayweather, he's problem solves around it. This is why I go back to it. It's like with a guy as good as Bivol, but as conventional as Bivol, it is very difficult for me to believe a guy this smart in Canelo can't figure that out. I think he does. Well, I did ask him about constantly challenging himself, and I think this, he gave me probably the best answer that sums it up, right, is do, he has to do this to get the adrenaline rush. Like he, as much as we wanted to see him against Benavides at 168 or Charlo moving up, that doesn't move him as much. It's taking these challenges that produces the best versions of him that we've ever seen, and, it, and it's admirable. But again, one of these days he's gonna run into a challenge too far. Now for Bivol to be that challenge though, Luke, he's gotta be offensive. If there's any criticism of Bivol, it's that he's too safe and too willing to fight people at distance and control those terms. Obviously, it's up to Canelo to take away those terms. If Canelo can meet him on an equal, equal ground, Bivol has to show an offensive spark to him that we haven't really seen out of him. I asked him that. I said, sometimes you fight too safe. Can you fight anti-safe in the moment, in the heat of the moment, if you need to against Canelo? Let's see what he said. Some, sometimes, if you are, if you are good, if you are do, doing good, something, it, it, and uh, this is fine uh, to, win the fight uh, you should do it again 
And sometimes it's not enough and you have to create something new, something uh, you have to take something from your deep, uh, you know, and show it in the ring. And uh, some opponents do it with you, yeah, when you have to um, show more. And I think Canelo, this is uh, that fight where you I have to show all, all of uh, Dmitry Bivol. Luke, he's willing to show all of it for the first time. He said he's in sparring, he's had to. I asked him if he's ever had to show all of it before in a pro fight in this interview, and he said, not yet. Do you believe enough that he knows enough of what showing it all looks like and feels like that if he gets to that level and he's got to go for it against Canelo, that A, he can, he can do it and be effective with it and that it will have any impact on Canelo. If we see as offensive a version of Bivol as we have ever seen, could that be too much? Is that gonna be the wall that Canelo can potentially hit? Yeah, yeah, that could be. Uh, I just feel like what I really have to see to make me think that Bivol has a chance is not to see a good range and a good movement. He's got to, like, stick it to Canelo, right? That's the thing that Kovalev couldn't quite get over the hump with. Kovalev couldn't commit to throwing the right hand, which would get him those moments right. because he knew he would get countered in his chin. Right, and great. Callum Smith didn't have anything for him in that regard. Uh, neither did Billy Joe Saunders in that regard. And neither, frankly, did Caleb Plant in yeah. that regard either. No one really has been able to... Triple G was, like, the only one you ever saw, like, really whip his head or whatever. Even if he says it doesn't hurt him, it, at least these were powerful impacts that clearly had a demonstrative effect. Bivol's got to get a little bit of that, dude, because honestly, without it, I don't I don't see how he wins. So the point I'm trying to make here is, you know, could that cause trouble? Yeah, for sure it could. For sure yeah. if he's got a real offensive mind and these punches are having, like, imagine, like, you know what I've never really seen? I've never seen Canelo's single eye swole up. You know what I mean? Swell up the face, dude. Like, do something to him yeah. to make him really be like, oh, shit, I am in well, another way. It's because we're not seeing people consistently sting Canelo. That's we're right. seeing jabs. We're seeing body shots and, and, sometimes. And in part but, because, dude, Canelo's head movement and his ability to roll, and, and his, he's incredible. if Canelo, and especially in the first half of this fight, if when he does attempt, I think Canelo's going to be willing to give up rounds to make his reads like, like Floyd did. Mm -hmm. But when Canelo starts to make his move, if he's met with stiff, accurate combinations that can end up, Luke, over time producing the swollen eye or the damage that we don't see Canelo ever endure. Dude, by mid-round, by mid-fight, you're, you're gonna see uh, some, some major adjustments needed to be made and, and the excitement is gonna go up. Luke, I'm telling you, dude, I'm picking the upset here. Wow! I think Bivol can do this. I think he's better than we've seen. And Luke, he's not somebody that hasn't beaten anybody. He's, you know, he beat Joe Smith Jr., who's now a champion and gonna fight better beef to unify. He beat all the guys, you know, former champion Gene Pascal. He beat all the guys in a row it, that who was available to him that you would want him to fight. And again, sometimes it's boring, but dude, he's always in control of these fights. I think he's one of those guys that when pressed, you're gonna see another level. It's gonna have to be by decision. He's not gonna knock Canelo out. There's a long history of people getting the, you know, feeling like they've outboxed Canelo and then the judges say otherwise. I just think this is that that reach too far. Remember when Adesanya was saying in the UFC, I'm gonna move up, to, I can move up to light heavyweight and take the title from Blahovich, and I think I can even go to heavyweight and fight John Jones for the heavyweight title. And we were like, I think maybe he could. And you know, maybe he still could, but like maybe he could. And, and then he, you know, he went up Luke and he and he and he got humbled. And it was it wasn't domination, but he got humbled. Mm -hmm. I think Canelo's gonna get humbled a little bit here. Can't say that's wrong. Can't say that's crazy. I disagree. I think Canelo's gonna figure out a way, but um, It'll the be later, majority split, majority yeah, type the of later thing. rounds are gonna be very telling. The the early rounds, 
I'll say this. Would you agree if Bivol's not winning the early rounds, that's a bad sign? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So let's see if Bivol starts winning the early rounds. That is how it kind of should He's got to win seven rounds. So he's got to make sure. He counts them early. Three yeah. or four of those are coming in the first half. That's right. It's a good far. point. So let's let's you know, pay attention to that. Um, but it's up to Canelo to problem solve. We'll see if he can do it. Uh, minus 550 Canelo. Right now, your betting favorite, Dimitri Bivol, plus 400. So I think Which that's. Which in boxing is. That's, that's pretty good. That's close pretty for good. Canelo. The only people that had closer odds against Canelo were Golovkin, who was favored in one, but not the other of their two fights against him. And Danny Jacobs was just a small underdog against him. Hmm. And look, Golovkin's the only one to ever really have major success against Canelo outside of Floyd. And Danny Jacobs did push him to a loss on the scorecards, 7-5, 7-5, 8-4. Five, five, I scored that fight a draw. I thought Jacobs was in that fight as a boxer. So when Canelo does fight a certain level of, of fighter or boxer who has these skills, it's close, I'm telling you. All right, Luke, let's keep it going here before we land this ship. Showtime this late afternoon from Paris, Luke. Is that, I think, a 4 p.m. Eastern main start, main card time start? Only on Showtime, it's Bellator 280, and it's a rematch for the heavyweight title. Czech Congo back at home in Paris. First time he fought Ryan Bader for the heavyweight crown, we saw a no contest, an accidental foul. Now you got Ryan Bader as a minus 510 favorite in this rematch. Czech Congo plus 375. Luke. A decent homecoming story, I guess, for Congo to go back to Paris and have a chance to fight for a title. He already did go back to Paris and have a chance, but lost, what, to Moldovsky, was it, or, or Tim Johnson? One of the two mm -hmm. that would have given him a shot. Nice story, but this isn't this isn't going to be a fight, right? This isn't going to be a fun or competitive fight. This is Ryan Bader's got <laughs> this shit, right? I like how you're selling this to the fans. Uh, this will neither be fun nor No, no, I, I mean, I, the matchup, is, it is no, what it is. No, you might be right. I don't Czech think, Congress I, I don't, 46. We should is, be honest with him, too. I don't, I don't know how fun this will be. It sort of is a function of Bader's... Uh, not readiness per se, but what he's got left. Has it, he gone, because right. of the losses at light heavyweight, has that affected his stock at his age to the level where, is he still the best Bellator heavyweight? We don't know. Right, so the, the wins that got Congo here, which are surprising, the ones that are not surprising is he beat Augusto Sakai. Dude, it's amazing. I, I watched, uh, what was his name, Mustafa Al-Turk fight Czech Congo once in the UFC, and then Joe Rogan made fun of their names because they just sounded so crazy. Like, I watched Pat Berry versus Czech Congo live. It is fucking remarkable that Czech Congo, who's like, what, how old is Czech Congo? I think he's 46. Like, something, you just can't believe the, his longevity. But he longevity. consistently won under, right. he's got a lot of Bellator wins. So he lost to Mohamed Lawal back in 2015. Since then, he beat Alexander Volkov, Vinicius Keraz, Tony Johnson Jr., Oli Thompson, UFC vet, Augusto Sakai, top... 10 or 15 UFC heavyweight. Javi Ayala, longtime guy, has been around. Then Tim Johnson, then Vitaly Minikov, and then Sergei Haratonov. He finished with a motherfucking choke. He did lose to Tim Johnson along the way. Dude, that's not bad at all, Oh, man. he's still solid. I cannot believe that. But here's that. the problem, though. And I don't look at the age as like a major detriment, although he's, he's old as shit, but, but he's stayed at a pretty high level. Bader's most recent fight after those light heavyweight losses was against the interim champion, Valentin Moldovsky. And I think if Bader wasn't still going to be that guy, that would have been the fight that showed us. Dude, Bader, Bader did what he had to do in that one. He did what he had to do. I'm, I'm going to say this. I, I, he's the, still the, the Bader. The only, yeah, Czech Congo, what he's done has been impressive, and the longevity is like kind of shocking. Because I got to tell you, I, I left him on the side of the you know, mental road about yeah. thinking about him as a relevant heavyweight. Probably after that, lost to the walls. Like, oh right, they, this is this this experiment is over. And here the fuck he is. You just cannot believe it. So I will. You must grant him respect for that. You must grant him that is a very impressive thing that he's done. The only way Bader should lose this is if he fights like a jackass, which I don't expect that he will, or he has passed it. 
Other than that, this is Ryan Bader's fight to lose because it's impressive what Czech has done, but an in-shape, still viable Bader at heavyweight should win this one 10 times out of I mean, it's, it's worth watching here for the potential of seeing uh, Czech Congo, who we've, we've always respected. I mean, look, he, I feel like he's... What was his first UFC fight? I feel like it was a long so, I mean, Actually, that's ago. a great question. I, mean, it might I think be, it might have been the Mustafa Al-Turk fight. No, I'm wrong. Jesus, I mean, he was had he several fighting as far that. back as like UFC 60? Is he, he made, Jesus that? fucking, he made, sorry about that. I know yeah. I'm trying to work on that. I'm sorry, BC. I'm trying to be a nice guy. Gilbert Aldana. Gilbert Aldana, who, by the way, tragically drowned um, years later. What so. number card was that? UFC 61. Damn. Then he fought Christian Wellish at UFC 62. Then Carmelo Marrero, who was a pretty good fighter as well, good wrestler. UFC 64, Asuario Silva. He fought Krokop and beat him. I mean, he feels like many UFC generations ago. Yet, Luke, if he wins a major, you know, World Championship, which this would be in his hometown, dude. This is gonna be a moment. Yeah, Dan, listen to his wins just real quickly. Dan Evanson, Mustafa El Turk, Anthony Hardonk, a very good uh, striker and now striking coach. Paul Buentello, Pat Berry, Matt Mitrione, Sean Jordan, Mark Godbeer, Peter Graham, Eric Smith, Lavar Johnson. Then we went to the ones Volkov. That Pat Carol. Brady fight was fucking crazy. Pat Barry, well, he, had, he, had, he literally had one of the most exciting UFC fights of all time. Like, dude, give Czech Congo a little bit of respect. Thank you. Although he has been boring as shit at times. Luke, this co-main event could get interesting here. Uh, Yoel Romero was supposed to be fighting Melvin Manhoof, who had applauded the fight. Was it? Did he? Did he? Stop a robbery and there's something related to that. Somebody tried to carjack him yes. or something and he held him until the cops got there. I was like, that's the fucking wrong guy to fuck with. So he's out of this fight, but Easy Polizzi is in. Alex Polizzi, Luke, is a plus 145 underdog, decent fighter. He's solid against a minus 165 Romero. Luke, against Phil Davis, we saw an old Yoel. Limitations. You know, he's moving up and he's moving back up to this division. What do you expect to see, though, this time against a a less formidable opponent for sure, but but not a not a scrub, but you know? It's amazing to me. And you know, you can you can blame whoever you want for this, but we should acknowledge that like there was a lot of hype about Romero coming over to Bellator, and there is virtually no coverage of him yeah. this heading into this rematch. Now, is that because of the nature of the loss to Phil Davis? Probably. Right, um, and you know, and there was we, did, well, there we didn't get the rumble fight. We didn't get the we didn't get the, the tournament for for Romero. You know? And by the way, I'm going to favor Romero to win here. I think the odds makers do, uh, but... But is he going to wrestle? He, dude, he doesn't wrestle. But, well, Polizzi is... I'm not going to say his only way to win, but his best way to win be through submissions. He has a big submission threat. He's got heel hooks. He's got arm bars. He's got good stuff on his record, but... Uh, which, you know, Romero is going to be very difficult to submit, so I would favor Romero to win. But at the same time, like, I cannot believe the situation from Romero, you know, has a case against Izzy yeah. in their fight to now he's fighting Alex Polizzi in Paris, which is a fine fight, but the fanfare, the lack of no, fanfare right. for it is tragic. You're right. Um, I'd still like to see him against Rumble if Rumble's going to end up coming back. Yeah. But it doesn't have that same sex appeal it had when it was kicking off the tournament. I'll say this. I mean, listen, 205 is better for him. He doesn't look quite as physically imposing because he, has, you know, he, has, he has 20 pounds of fat on him or more. Yeah. But the point being is I do think it's going to help with the weight cut. I still think he's going to be athletic. I still think he's going to be able to move well. His defense is pretty sound, man. His defensive yeah, wrestling is good. The problem is when he goes into that offensive mode where he's only going to throw strikes if he feels like he can finish you with yes. it. And his... You know, speed is slowly diminishing. I know he's moving up he's away, still which a offsets athlete, that. Man. I get that, but if he's not going to be active, Luke, the fights are—he's not—he's going to have problems winning rounds in close fights. That's, that's true. And mm -hmm. I don't know if they're going to be that exciting. We kind of need him. But to remember, press. like Phil is the ultimate example of shutdown. Oh, guy absolutely. With his wrestling and his striking, like it, Phil makes it look, frankly, boring. But it's so effective. A lot of people can't do what Phil can do. You were telling me you were into this uh, Lorenz Larkin, Kyle Stewart. Yeah, shouts to Kyle Stewart, who's over there in Paris. Kyle Stewart served in two seven. I had a lot of friends who served in two seven. It's one of the uh, 
In the Marines. In the Marines. It's one of the top um, uh, sort of infantry units that is known to exist. And um, he fought, uh, he did multiple combat tours, and he's got all kinds of, you know, uh, I love a moto uh, USMC tattoos. Anyway, um, you know, I'm always going to have uh, a bit of a soft spot for guys like that. And he, I've been following him on Instagram. I don't follow a lot of fighters. And, you know, listen, he got out of the UFC and was kind of like, toiling on the regional scene. He was in the, L I think of LFA, but he fought um, a UFC event in his last fight in New Orleans. But he'd been kind of up and down the regional scene, but he finally put together a pretty a pretty decent win streak or win combination. And he got called back up to the big show. He he was gonna say that if he didn't make it to the big show, he might've hung it up altogether. All so he finally got back to Bellator and then within, they made this fight on short notice in Paris against Lorenz Larkin. He just took it. I, I really respect how he, you know, stay, saved this car to a degree, not saved the car, but you know, added a decent in, a piece of, uh, remained uh, uh, for Lorenz Larkin to stay on there, brought himself back to the big show. It's a tough assignment. Let's be honest about it. Lorenz Larkin, again, you know, where, where was the fanfare from him from UFC to, to Bellator? It seems to have evaporated. But he's still a very, very good striker, yeah. very good athlete. It's a Larkin, tough fight for Kyle Stewart. Larkin's a minus 410 favorite. Kyle Stewart plus 310. Do those odds change if Mike Beltran ends up refereeing this? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, Kyle Stewart, if for no other reason alone, has it. Wearing Semper Fi clothing. Wearing Semper Fi clothing. <laughs> uh, no, Kyle's sponsor is Howitzer clothing, I think. But the point is, uh, is... For if for no other reason, coming in late notice is just going to make this a really difficult fight for Kyle. And then you add in the fact that Lorenz is a really good striker. Yes, it's you know Lorenz deserves to be favored here, but I like Kyle Stewart a lot, and I hope he I hope he does well. PFL back tonight as well, Luke, and in the main event, the face of the franchise, Kayla Harrison, who you also talked to this past week. I don't know if do we are we throwing her some Kayla son? Are we don't no no, we don't have that. Yeah, we don't have, um, we don't have Luke, that. she's a minus thirty five hundred <laughs> favorite against. Marita, I, I will land this plane, Manich, okay? I will. Manich is like, yo, we gotta get the fuck out of here. I'm like, here, yo, bro. you're talking to Sully fucking Sullenberger right here. Gotta okay? land this bitch on the Hudson. Um, her name is Marina Maknakina. She's a Sambo plus champion. 1500. She's a Sambo champion. Um, we expect Kayla to absolutely dominate and then talk trash about about Cyborg and in uh, women she can't fight and yeah and Pena that's but, not her fault we've been but no you had a great chat with her there was there was I'd love to get her in studio Luke yeah okay I've had her in studio one time before she's great all right uh domination thank you Luke Ray Cooper the third though who was what won two different welterweight season championships and is the defending champion he's a minus 380 favorite over Carlos Leal but Cooper missed weight by 4.5 pounds that's a red flag of all so red flags. that's that's not a good time to do that. No, that's like in uh, that almost certainly says either I have desperately underprepared for this fight. Five, sorry, five point four pounds. I had that wrong. Dude, five point okay. yeah, four dude, you, pounds. I mean, you're halfway to the next weight class. I mean, not, not in his case because he'd be one seventy one eighty five. But you get the idea, dude. That's some explaining to do, dude. That's you. You something either went tragically wrong in yes. fight camp, or you have a very bad injury that you're hiding. Anthony Pettis is back in the lightweight tournament. He'll be taking on Miles Price. Pettis a minus 305 favorite, and also Roy McDonald back in the welterweight bracket. John he's, Danaher in his corner. He's a minus 365 favorite against Brett Cooper. Is Brett Cooper gonna? Uh, Brett Cooper, uh, Bellator vet. Yeah, he's still pretty good. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. Uh, Luke, Julia Budd on that undercard against Jeff Rory Fabian. should win, but you know. Gleison Tebow's back on that undercard, okay. Thank you. Sweet. Larissa Pacheco, also on the main card. Awesome. Minus 900 favorite. You don't care about Can't that. Can't wait. Nope. All right, Luke, keep the motor churning here. Uh, how about this for a potential fight announcement? Not only is Alexander Volkanovsky your UFC featherweight champion, God, he wants all the smoke, Luke. Max Holloway, for a third time, 
as soon as July 2nd, according to reports. I saw Brett Okamoto was all over this. Ariel was reporting it too. Luke, Volkanovsky Holloway 3. Oh yeah. We thought we were gonna have it until Max had to pull out. How about this turnaround for the champ, dude? This, like. Love it. Damn, love man. Love it, love it. Let me tell you why I love this fight so much. You can say what you want about how the first fight should have been scored and how it was scored. You can say the exact same thing for the second. How many times should you watch it before you say something about it, though? 50 plus one. But what I do want to be, if I can make a point seriously for just a second, the reason why this fight is so intriguing to me is because when you think about it, even though he made the biggest adjustment between the first and the second fight in Max Holloway, Max Holloway still has the most adjustment that needs to make. He needs to make because as good as you may have thought that he fought in the second fight, it was not good enough to get the judges to be convinced. And so now he is quite literally down 0-2. Why do I bring all of this up? Because what I love about this is, is Volkanovski basically told me in New York on the other side of the water, where you're going to land that plane, Sully, he told me quite explicitly, like, my, my style encompasses, I, I can do a lot with it. He didn't make a whole lot of changes from the first to the second fight, and I don't think he'll make a whole lot from the second to the third. Some fine-tuning, but not much. Yeah. It is Max and his team that have the most, the, the, the largest creative challenge here. And let me say this, I think people have slept on the fact that Gracie Technics and, and Ivan Flores, his guys, they don't ever do interviews, they don't ever seek the limelight, they are some of the smartest fight, uh, fighters and fight coaches in the world to the point where Eugene Behrman has very much tipped his cap to how smart they are. This is on Max, not just to win it, but he has the creative yeah. challenge here to figure this out. It is it is actually uh, Volkanovski who can play prevent defense if he wants. Max has to solve this riddle and Damn, no one can do it for this. him. Uh, so the cool part about this fight, it was happening so quickly and we saw that board over Dana White's shoulder on that Ryan Clark podcast. Now Ariel's saying maybe that was filmed a few weeks ago. So, you know, this didn't look like it was in the plans for International Fight Week. Now it is. I don't know what that means for you know, Hamzad or or even uh, Kananir Adesanya, which I think is still being targeted for that date. But Luke, here's what's great about it. Volkanovski's just coming off the best version of him we've ever seen against a Korean zombie, where he just took it to another level. Two fights ago, Max Holloway had the same type of performance against Calvin Cater, where if this third fight was happening directly after the Calvin Cater fight, where Holloway's just flowing and setting records for punches landed and all that, we would have, we, how much differently do you think about who potentially wins this third fight because Max had that fight of the year contender in between against Yair Rodriguez, where even though he won the fight and did brilliant things to do that, was he was he was in a he was in a fight. I mean, we haven't seen him in that type of fight in a while. Yeah, listen, so, Max has a lot of wear and tear. So, do you think that changes the way you look at it? If if this was after the Cater fight, would you be thinking differently? Yeah, I think we've made the point. Like, it has a little bit of Triple G Canelo in it, where you could argue maybe you thought Max did better the second time, but the point is there was a draw in the first case of the Canelo Triple G. Then Canelo won, and now we're in the third one. But by the time you get the third one, Triple G is much older than he was. And the first one, I guess, of course, that both have aged the same, but one has aged into a prime, one has aged out of it. That would be the difference. You'd have to ask yourself if that's the case with Volkanovski and Max. I would not think so. I don't think it, it operates along those lines. But I do think that there is no way to say anything other than Max has taken a lot of damage in his career. The, the, the second Poirier fight is a fucking I oh, mean, wow. brutal affair. And uh, certainly this last one against But he takes uh, damage and wins. The Ortega fight in which he- Yes. Like he well, took, Ortega got took the worst damage. Obviously, and that's how the finish happened. But what I'm saying is Max, even against he, Aldo, yes. he, he had to walk through some- Yes, stuff. so Max has been extremely resilient. Please don't misunderstand me. He is a live, I, mean, well, I don't know if he's a dog or not, but he, he, I mean, he is very much in play to win this contest. But if I am asked to draw one clear distinction between them, it is that 
the amount of uh, damage Max has taken over the course of his career, it is a potential difference maker in ways it is not for uh, Volkanovski. I don't want to hold that against Max too much because styles make fights. Your motivation might be different. You know, you, you would you would want to have the same energy, but your motivation might be different against Yair Rodriguez than in a third fight with with Volkanovski. And the reason why I give I have so much confidence in Max, regardless, is the changes he made stylistically in the second fight showed me that he realized he's fighting a different animal. He realized he was going to have to try to think like this different animal. And the way Max was able to give me a chance watching it live going, damn, I think Max just won that, showed me that he can play chess with Volkanovski. I don't know if yes, he can. I don't know if he is as good. And if he ends up losing three in a row, it's like, what, what are we gonna say? Volkanovski's by, you know, he's the better man. But this you is know? what but Max is up against. The first time he had the lowered, uh, lowered stance and he went after Mac, uh, Volkanovski, couldn't quite catch him. In the, in the rematch, he stood tall and waited for the pressure and had, uh, I thought, a little bit better success, certainly in that first round, but not enough over the course of the fight. He has to have a strategy, not only enough to um, make impact early, he has got to find a way to win rounds late. That has been a bit of yes. a problem for him. But what about this wild card? This is the most offensive we've seen Volkanovski yes. in terms of intention. Yes. In terms of intention, that I, creates I want to show you that I'm well-rounded. I want to show you that I'm a finisher, not just a five-round master. Um, it could be a different guy. That's why when you have these great rivalries, and this is a weird one, right? Because again, the, the one guy won twice, but obviously there's dis disputed scorecards in there. Um, when it can happen over different eras of the same era, but different chapters, and they're different fighters, and there's different stakes. I mean, this is going to be a this this this. Even if Alex gets three wins, this is going to be a memorable rivalry yeah. historically. Yes. Like this will, you know, this is this is very high level stuff, and the and I'm very much looking forward. And sometimes Luke, the third one ends up being crazier because they're a little bit older, or their intentions change, or they're you know maybe they're just angry. Remember Marcus bulked up against Pacquiao, you know, after feeling like well, he, he got flatlined him. Yeah, yeah, you never know. So uh, that announcement, Luke, should move you. Wrapping up quickly, uh, Cody Garbrandt, Yanni. Hani Yaya, July 9th, the end of that? Oh, God, I butchered that. Hani Yaya, he's still around, Luke. Jesus. August 6th, Tiago Boy, they gave Cody somebody who doesn't strike at all. No, this is the rehab tour. Tiago Santos, Jamal Hill, August 6th, that movie at all? That's great. That's a very tough fight in either direction. Both guys have, especially for Hill, that's a really big fight. And joining Garbrandt on that July 9th fight night card, Rafael Dos Anjos, Currently Fazeev, in the works Fazeev, against Fazeev. against Rafael Fazeev. Give me yeah. that shit. Give it Give to it all. me. And then again, I don't know what, what card it was announced for, but Saryukin versus Mateus Gamrot is. I mean, people have argued it's a little bit early in their careers to yeah. have them meet. Yeah, probably it is. The fight's still going to be fucking awesome. So you want to do these dead wrongs or just tell these viewers to fuck off? We can do them, but we don't. We can do them tomorrow on the. Um, oh, like live the companion, the, yeah. Yeah, we're doing a fight companion. UFC 274, Canelo Alvarez against Dimitri Bivol. We're doing it here. Tomorrow, so I guess, you know, check your local listings on YouTube, right? Yeah. But we will have a post-fight morning combat reaction to Bellator Paris, which goes down 4 p.m. Eastern on Showtime. You want to watch it for free? Go to Showtime.com. Get your 30-day free trial right now, and then we will give you that post-fight reaction after Saturday night's events as well. So companion, take a break, do some HQ, write a recap, whatever, freshen up, but then it's right back MK instant reaction. Do they pay you enough to work this hard, Luke? Do I look like they pay me enough? 
we're about to welcome in a, another uh, another special guest, you know, in a minute. So, oh, we are, uh, yes. This brand is just... You're going to land this plane like you said you just were? Just going places, you know what I mean? It's great. I love it. Um, one thing more on merch. Morningcombat.store. I have gummies to eat. We Live 10. 10% off. You can get it. Thank you. For Luke Thomas, for our fantastic staff here, I'm Brian Campbell. Reminding you. If you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. <clears throat> we out. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.